Floods of Justice is part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. The Tennessee Holler provides relentless coverage, shining a light on injustices throughout Tennessee. Find them online at www.tnholler.com. Good morning, everyone. This is uh, Kevin. I'm so glad that you're joining us for Floods of Justice. I am so excited about uh, today's podcast. I'm talking with my dear friend, uh, John Weaver, who is a humanitarian who has worked over 20 years in Afghanistan, and we're going to talk about what's going on uh, in that country right now. Um, John has written three books about um, his time in Afghanistan. All of these are found on Amazon.com. One is called Inside Afghanistan, a mission of mercy to a war-torn people before 9-11 and beyond. He wrote this book originally 20 years ago, so this is an updated version of that book. He wrote another book called Najiba, I hope I pronounced that right, A Love Story from Afghanistan. It's about he and his wife. He met his wife in Afghanistan and was married in Afghanistan. And then another book called A Flame on the Front Line, Journey from America to Afghanistan. So I encourage you to buy those books, support John, especially during this time. And I just look forward to um, you hearing this conversation and any comments that you may have. Please, please, please let us know what you think about this episode. If you have your Bibles, open them to Amos chapter 5. And I want to read verse 24. Where the prophet Amos says, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, justice, justice. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Led by Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs, affectionately known as Pastor Kevin or Rev Kev. He is the senior pastor of Franklin Community Church and founder of Franklin Community Development in Franklin, Tennessee. He is also a published author, teacher, professor, activist, abolitionist, husband, father, grandfather, scuba diver, and coffee connoisseur, which is why this podcast is brought to you from the Coffee House at 2nd and Bridge in downtown Franklin. Let's begin the conversation. Uh, So, John, how are you doing? Kevin, greetings to you, brother. No, I'm doing well. It's a challenging time with what's happening in Afghanistan, daily contact with our brothers and sisters, but by God's grace, I'm doing okay. Thank you for asking. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, I'm doing well. My my heart is my heart's been breaking on a couple of issues. One here is locally, um, but uh, but also just just uh, watching the news and and uh, and seeing what's going on. And and you know, I not we're not going to talk about all of these things, but it's just a rough time right now. I mean, we got a hurricane that hit Louisiana, yeah. a town an hour from here uh, went through a a bad flood, twenty lives lost. Mm-hmm. last week and the hurricane is coming through that same town the rain so they're going to get hit hard again um there you know the, there's a local a, a local issue with a local church that's just having some problems um and uh, then just our country and now uh Af- afghanistan and tomorrow being the deadline yes. um and it's just you know uh, lord come quickly <laughs> that's Amen. all Amen. that's all i think about i mean it's you know i I don't know much. I've, I've been all over the field in my lifetime about eschatology. I mean, I've been all over the map of what I think, and I've decided I don't know. <laughs> so, but whatever's going on, you know, God, uh, Jesus, come back soon. Uh, may may the world be redeemed and reclaimed. And, and uh, you know, it's just a tough time. And so I know that you have, I can look in, I can see in your eyes that you're tired um, with the, the time difference between here and there. And, uh, you know, you've been up, you're up all night talking on the phone because it's their daytime. Right. And, uh, That's right. Yeah. Um, and so I appreciate you so much taking out time. I, I've told our, our listeners a little bit about you, um, as far as, 
Um, you know, in the very beginning of this war in Afghanistan, you were there as a humanitarian worker and, um, and, and you saw basically from the beginning how these things, you know, what's unfolded. So just take some time to tell us about your experience um, of living and working uh, in that what I'm sure you, what I'm sure is a beautiful country and with beautiful people. So just tell us a little bit about that. Yes. No, thanks, Kevin. Well, yeah, long story short, God, you know, captured my heart. And when I was in college and graduate school about Central Asia, about a love for Muslims, their need to hear the good news and and uh, the beauty of Central Asia, I moved over to Central Asia in 1998. So I lived in all those stans that the listeners might be aware of, the former Soviet Union countries, and fell in love with the people, the hospitality, the culture, so much we can learn from their Eastern worldview. And then in the year 2000, uh, I actually had the privilege to move into the northern part of Afghanistan. That was the area that was not controlled by the Taliban. The Taliban controlled most of the country, but not this little northern area. This was before 9-11. And uh, I was serving the internally displaced persons called IDP. So if you're a refugee inside your country, you're an IDP. And we were serving them with practical and spiritual assistance. Uh, the front line was just miles from where I live. So the Taliban were in close proximity and their desire was to take over the whole country. And then of course, as you know, uh, Kevin, 9-11 happened. It rocked our world, specifically those of us <clears throat> Americans, the, how it affected uh, the United States. And yet we know that mobilized the international community to now make a response into Afghanistan. It brought Afghanistan to like the top of the prayer chain, you know, of global events. And uh, we know that in October 2001, uh, the American-led coalition forces came and toppled the Taliban government. And I was actually there during that time. And um, I didn't mean to be on TV, but some listeners might remember, oh yeah, this is this John that we remember Peter Jennings interview, and he wrote a book called Inside Afghanistan. I just updated it, the 20th uh, year edition, not knowing that this was going to happen, but knowing that Afghanistan would be back in the world scene. I updated the book. Uh, and um, so I, I've been living in that region uh, since. I got married there in the year 2005. There's another book uh, listeners could get. It's just about my story and my wife's story called Najiba. That's my wife's Afghan name. And it's called Najiba, a love story from Afghanistan. And it talks about how God brought us together, how we had a Christ-centered wedding, how we shared God's word in and through our, in our wedding. And so long story short, Kevin, as you know, I've been in that region since 1998 doing a variety of humanitarian projects, providing practical and spiritual assistance, being salt and light. And even to this day, I mean, I'm getting text messages even, even now from Afghanistan because I'm, even though I, I'm based in the States, I'm more like a coach, a trainer, a mentor, a ministry coordinator. I'm still actively daily involved uh, in Afghanistan. When, when was the last time you were over there? I was over there in the spring. So normally I try to take two trips a year. So a lot of what I do is online, you know, because of technology. Yeah. Uh, some of our local friends in the country, local ministry partners, I have more contact with them now than I did when I lived there because they have phones. So I was there in the spring and I actually was scheduled to go back in October. Of course, now that's on hold because of these events. So normally I take a few trips a year, 
to that region, and then, of course, specifically inside uh, the country, and then the, the daily, weekly, ongoing ministry is, you know, through partnerships and through, uh, through appropriate technology. Yeah, well, let me ask you this, and I hope I, I phrased this right, but, you know, I, I was out of the country one time, and the country I was in was going, went through a, a political takeover while I was there, and, um, and the scenes that the people in the United States were getting and hearing mm-hmm. were not even close to what was actually going on. You know, it makes it sound like, you know, it made it sound like the whole country was in an uproar when really it was centralized in, in, in yes. one place. And so I've kind of learned from that, that, okay, what I see on the news uh, going on in, um, in Afghanistan, um, you know, is it just kind of local and, and it's that small and the rest of the country is doing okay, or is this affecting you know, the, the entire country. And so from yes. your friends that you're hearing, you know, what, what's going on on the ground, not just by the airport, but just maybe in the outer areas, is, is everybody uptight or, or, or a lot of people just kind of, they're continuing on as best they can life as usual, or is it as bad as sometimes we hear? Yeah. So Kevin, that's a great question. So we normally remind people that Afghanistan's the size of Texas. So if you get it, look at your map and, and visualize Texas, so the point is, it's quite a big country, and I've traveled through the majority of the country. I mean, it's a it's a big country. So the point is, when a media shows something in one area, it does not mean it's happening all over the country. Of course, now what most people are seeing is what's happening in Kabul, which is the capital city, in and around the airport. I mean, that's real. That's that's real live stuff that's happening right there in that Kabul airport. But that level of chaos is not happening all over the country. Now, having said all that, I want to remind all of us that the Taliban now control the country. So meaning they are implementing their view of Islam and their view of Sharia law. But even saying that, it plays out differently in different parts of the country. So now people could even think about our own you know, government here in the States, those of us who are from the United States. We've got 50 states, but there's a lot of different ways, you know, laws and things are implemented, you know, even in our own country. So think about Afghanistan, size of Texas, it's 34 different provinces, so like 34 different states. And yes, just because a report comes, this happened here, it does not mean it's happening all over the country. But having said that, there is chaos in the country. There is danger for local believers. It is a difficult time. The borders are closed and the Taliban's in control. And so it, it really is a desperate situation. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned believers. So let's kind of t- go to that route. Just tell us a little bit about what maybe life is like for the believer. First of all, you may want to go back and, yeah. and just mention Islam just a little bit, because, you know, when I, when I was teaching at a community college, I had lots and lots and lots of Muslim students yes. um, who were from the Middle East. They were here, you know, yeah. because of political asylum. And what I was learning from them about what their idea of Islam was, was not what I was hearing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's like, it's not everybody who's Muslim is, 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 is an extremist. Yes, yes, um, and, yes. and if I remember right, it seemed like it goes back to two particular groups within Islam, the Shiites and the, or the Sunnis and the Shiites. Is that right? I'm, I'm just yes. drawn from memory. And, and out of one of those groups is where the extremists usually come from, but that's, that is not even the majority of Muslims. So 
if you wouldn't mind, just kind of talk about yes. what your experience with, with Muslims has been over the years, yes. um, but then also uh, believers, um, what's life like for them, um, you know, the, what, the, the house fellowships, uh, how, how is that going to change now, you think, with, um, with, with uh, us leaving the country, you know, just, just kind of that, that idea. Yes. So, Kevin, usually there's two things I want to say in a question like this is one, God loves Muslims. Every human being is created in the image of God. He loves them. And some of my close friends are Muslims. I've had Muslims save my life. I've received help and assistance and hospitality from Muslims. They're not all terrorists. They're no human beings created in the image of God. With second thing is that every day Muslims are coming to Christ. Muslims are spiritual, religious people. They want to know God, and God's created us in a way that the knowledge of God is in us. Yet there's a there's an emptiness, as we would say, until we know the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Lord's pursuing Muslims, and every day Muslims are coming to Christ, and there's some simple things that we would share that illustrate what we call a process by which someone comes to Christ in that context, one of which something happens inside. We call it they get disheartened or disillusioned or dissatisfied or even depressed or discouraged with their own worldview. So imagine now, here comes strict Islam, and sometimes it turns people away because it's so oppressive. And then something happens in your heart, and you kind of cry out to God, or you look for other people, or you look for social media, or you look for like truth, as we would say, I'm going to speak in generality, but hopefully people understand what I mean. You begin, you begin to search. It's kind of like what the scriptures say that, you know, God has set the times and the seasons that people would, would seek after him because he's not far from any of us because in him we live and move and have our being. So now God reaches out to them through a fellow follower of Jesus. God reaches out to them through a gospel witness through a social media, through something that's available in their language. Uh, God reaches out to them even in dreams and visions. That's another phenomenon that's happening. And in that process, then they realize, I can know the living God through His, through the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit. And they come into relationship uh, you know, with the Lord as, the, as, their, as their Heavenly Father and become His children, become born again. So then the dynamic then is, well, how do they do fellowship as we'll use that word and so i would remind all of us that jesus said whenever two or three gather together he didn't even say 20 or 30 he definitely didn't say 200 300 or 2000 3000 or 20 to 30000 he said two or three so now imagine small groups house fellowship cell groups you know your life group your bible study group that's kind of how it looks so organically they're gathering as they can uh, in a vehicle, at a park, in someone's house, out in the middle of a place where they're just sitting, you know, look like they're having a picnic or they're down by the river or whatever it might. you got to think small groups. And in those groups, well, what are they doing? Well, they're doing a lot of what we know you do as the people of God. You give thanks. You praise. Uh, you pray for one another. The word of God is shared in some way verbally or or however God has given it to them. They may have something in their hand. Hopefully listeners will understand. They may have access to something, but sometimes it's, it's, it's verbally sharing the, the stories of God and praying for one another, meeting one another's needs, giving thanks together, 
breaking bread together and being the people of God together in that little context. And, and what we know, Kevin, organically, like leaven in the dough that is spreading throughout that land. And that's just, that's really just a beautiful picture. <laughs> and it's like, I'm envious. It's like, I wish we had that here, you know, in, in the States where everything's about the program and the big, uh, you know, mega churches and, and churches on every corner. Um, but yet it seems like that um, our relationship with God is transactional um, instead of um, instead of transformational, which is what it sounds like there in that in that small group. And now you're really dependent on each other. Um, and, you know, we, we hear a lot about the possibility of of, um, you know, like some of there was something that came across my my social media that said that uh, um the Taliban was actually was was actively searching for uh, these house fellowships um, and, uh, uh, you know, to not to tell them they're doing a good job, obviously, but uh, but to, to cause chaos. And are the are the believers concerned about that or, or is that much ado about nothing or or, no, you know? Yeah, no, Kevin, that's real. So what we say in, in relation to the questions like that is. The image is like being sheep among wolves. So I would encourage listeners that, that, that are people of faith, you read Luke chapter 10, you know, pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest. Let's pray that for any place, any, you know, any people, any country. Uh, but then it says, Jesus says, I send you out like sheep among wolves. We're not saying that all Afghans are wolves, you know, but the, the, that's the imagery that if they are following the Lord Jesus Christ, if they're trying to advance God's kingdom, as that text says in Luke 10, the imagery is they're like sheep among wolves. And so then we remind listeners, that's a way you can pray for your brothers and sisters there. And you can use Psalms 23, or you can use John chapter 10, where Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd and my sheep hear my voice. So here's some practical ways you can kind of use an imagery. Wow, my brothers and sisters are literally like sheep among wolves, they're in danger, they're in harm's way, there's opposition, there's suffering, there's persecution, because strict Islam governed by Sharia law is in direct opposition to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the advancement of uh, his kingdom. And so please pray for our brothers and sisters that they would know the Lord as their shepherd, the one who leads them, the one who guides them, the one who provides for them, the one who even prepares a table before them in the presence of their enemies, the one who, you know, says he's with them even through the valley of the shadow of death, the one who says, my goodness and my mercy will follow you all the days of your life, and that they would know his voice and know his presence. And as fellow sheep, they would continue to follow the good shepherd. You mentioned earlier about eschatology. We remind people of Matthew 24, where it says, regardless of one's view of theology, this is what G this is the red letters, right? Surely we can trust the red letters. Jesus says, those that endure to the end will be saved. So pray for them in this fiery trial that they would endure in faith, they would persevere in faith, regardless of your theological view, that God would strengthen their faith and they would live by faith and endure to the end, whatever that means in their context. But then the next verse says, and the good news of the kingdom of God will be proclaimed, testified, published throughout the whole world as a life-giving witness or testimony among all nations. And the word nations is ethnos. It's 
ethnicity, it's, it's panta ethne. It's, so the point is, uh, God obviously has brought Afghanistan to the top of the prayer chain because it's a land full of unreached people groups. It's a land full of tribes and ethnic groups that have yet have a gospel witness. And that's God's heart for his people there and for those that will believe in him through their witness. Yeah, that, that's, that's really good. I, thank you so much for that explanation. But let me ask you this, and you may not know this, the answer, but just what little bit of research I've done in, in, with church history is that a lot of the, the Middle Eastern countries can trace the roots of Christianity uh, or to, to that belief system back to one of the disciples um, in, the, uh, uh, in the New Testament. Um, and, um, you know, and, and if, if you study the early lives of, the, of those disciples, you hear that this one went here and then this one went there. And I know like some of my, um, when, I, when I was teaching and uh, my, some of my friends, some of my students uh, from Iraq uh, would tell me that the Christian church in Iraq or the, would go back to this particular uh, apostle. Um, do, do you know if, if, if that's true for, Af for the Afghans? Is there a particular um, lineage they trace that, that the, the good news of the kingdom came to this country first through um, this apostle? Yeah, well, that's a very good question, Kevin. So let's say, I may ask you so I don't mess up because my mind's tired, but what, which one was the apostle that we said went to India? I mean, you heard stories. Yeah, <laughs> well, my mind, my mind is tired too. It yeah. seems like um, Thomas, I think. Yeah, Thomas went to uh, went to went to India um, yeah. out of out of seemed like out of um, Iraq and maybe Iran. There's a a, a group called Antiochian, which yes. means they would trace themselves back to the believers in Antioch, where the yes. New Testament says they were first called Christians in Antioch. Yes. So that church was started by people, not yes. an apostle, but then from that from that group down into the Middle East. So yes. That, so that what we do know is that, yeah, so from Jerusalem, from the Middle East, if anyone would have traveled more east to the far east, they would have gone through Afghanistan. The Silk Road goes through Afghanistan. So there is documented history that before Islam, remember that Islam didn't start until the seventh century. So there is documented history that before the seventh century, not only were there Jewish populations in that part of the world in Central Asia, there were messianic, meaning followers of Jesus, that had communities in that part of the world. And then even jumping forward after Islam, there was still a presence of, 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 of Jews and, and, uh, and, and messianic believers or Christ followers. Uh, yet sadly, over time, Islam spread mostly by the sword. And a lot of that was, um, yeah. It was, I, I guess my point is God's always had a remnant yes, of his yes, people. Yes. And, and, and in a sense, you know, we don't go anywhere uh, where God is not already present Amen. and where God has already been at work. Amen. Um, and God's, um, yes, God's always at work. And so, Kevin, we tell people that's part of the preference of what we're involved in. God is always at work. So part of it is, as you know, experiencing God we will see where he's at work and join in with him. Well, but there's another way of looking at that. Well, in a place like Afghanistan, before you get there, you don't know where God's at work, but you know he's at work. You know he's there, right? But the invitation is more, here's an unreached area. Here's the Lord of the harvest sending people there. And so in response, we say, Lord, yes, here am I, send me. So now I'm in 
Afghanistan, well, that perspective still works. God, you are here. Show me where you're at work. And that's one of the, the missiological perspectives we call a person of peace. So when you look throughout scripture, especially in Jesus' time in the book of Acts, you, you find these analogies that we call, well, this was a God-prepared person. This was a seeker, or this was a person of peace, like a Nicodemus, like the Samaritan woman, you know, like Cornelius, like the Philippian jailer, like a Lydia type of person. And so the point is, we're there praying and serving and sharing God's love and looking, okay, God, where are you at work? And then what we find is there are these persons of peace who are open, interested, spiritually minded. Then you kind of go where the fish are biting and you share. Actually, in Luke 10, it says that when you enter a house, you say shalom or salam or peace. And if God's peace is there, you stay right there. And I believe personally, Jesus meant, why did he say stay there? Because God is there. God is at work there. God has gone before you. And that's where the expression of God's kingdom will be pioneered or here experience a breakthrough or a birth uh, for the gospel to spread in that community. Yes. Yeah. But to shift gears a little bit, just to a little bit of politics, I don't want to dwell on this a whole lot, but you know, we, we go into um, Afghanistan, um, you know, because that's where we, we think, or maybe it was factual that the, uh, the people who flew into our towers got their training there. They, they weren't Afghan themselves, but that's where they got their training. We end up being there now 20, what, 20 years. Um, it seemed like every president since, uh, well, the last four presidents anyway, promised to pull troops out um, and, uh, no one did. And then President Biden does. And and, you know, it becomes chaos. Um, you know, I, I kind of think that no matter when we did that, that's what was going to happen. I mean, I don't know how how you would leave any other way. But um, from the people who live in the country there, do they look to the at the United States and the occupation that we had as that was a good thing or it was we were trying to colonialize again? <laughs> Um, and so pulling out was, uh, um, you know, do, do they see it as a betrayal or, or, you know what, at some point they needed to go and now we have to make our own, uh, you know, we got to make our own country. Does that question even make sense? It does, Kevin. So I think what I would say since I was there as a fellow American around the events of 9-11, so keep in mind then the Taliban was like the bully trying to control the country. So after the events of 9-11, as tragic as that was, when our, uh, uh, the American-led you know, coalition forces came in and kind of you know, took care of the bully, so to speak, the majority of Afghans were very thankful. They were very grateful. I mean, I had close friends uh, around the events of 9-11 come tell me, you know, we, we don't agree with that. That, that was wrong you know, for, that, for that to actually happen. Of course, the after effect was it mobilized the international community, a war against terrorism, against ISIS and Al-Qaeda and the Taliban, and as a result, it brought a sense of freedom to some degree to Afghanistan. And at that time, yes, Kevin, millions of Afghans were grateful. They were thankful, having said that. Now, who was not happy about that? Well, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and the Taliban. They weren't happy about that. But millions of Afghans were very, very happy. Now, going through the narrative of the story of now 20 years, you've had mixed mixed responses and mixed emotions from Afghans depending upon their ethnicity, and their worldview, 
and and because in some ways it did not play out like some people would have hoped and so now sadly yes i'm not a political person but i'm not a dummy either you know what i'm saying but so in just thinking from a leadership perspective yes if i were a president i would say well of course one day we we have to leave afghanistan it's their country we're not going to abandon them but yes we're probably going to leave but just between us I would not have orchestrated it the way it's happening right now. So because of the way it's happened right now, sadly, Kevin, there are now millions of Afghans whose emotions have flipped to the opposite and they're disheartened, they're discouraged, they're disappointed, and they feel like America and the international community, in this case, specifically America. And sadly, I'm not picking on President Biden. He just happens to be the president. So a lot of it's directed to him. President Biden, you've made a lot of mistakes. Why could you do this? How could you let this uh, happen? I mean, just one real quick thing to say, it's common sense, common knowledge, so it's not anything confidential. That's Anyway, just 30 miles or kilometers, they say kilometers, so but within, within 30 minutes, not very far away from the Kabul airport was the Bagram big base. So now just imagine, sadly, hindsight's always 2020 as leaders try to evaluate and learn from our experiences, John Maxwell would say. So now, imagine that the American government still had Bagram as a base, or maybe would have still kept the base in one of the other little surrounding country, I mean, uh, surrounding uh, capital cities where you could have got flights in and out. Now, imagine lo logistically this whole thing's playing out differently, where there's much more of a peaceful evacuation of those that really need to be evacuated, regardless of whether or not the Taliban are going to take over the country or not. Imagine if we could have done this, just three or four simple decisions could have made this play out very, very differently. Yeah. And, and you know, as a result, we have now millions of refugees. Yes. Um, and, and those refugees are going to end up somewhere. Yes. Um, you know, lots of them will end up in uh, the United States. Uh, I know just because of where I'm located, you know, lots of refugees end up in Middle Tennessee because yes. some of the, the the large refugee nonprofits are located in this area, and so you know they're 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 going to be here. Um, and so, from your perspective, as as a follower of Jesus, talk a little bit about what our responsibility is as followers of Jesus when it comes to caring for the for the refugees, even though these refugees may not be of the same quote belief system that we are um you know what is our responsibility to care for refugees as followers of jesus kevin great question as followers of jesus as the people of god we know from the biblical narrative that god well god loves everyone but god loves refugees he has a special place it's like the the suffering god i mean god doesn't suffer but god enters into our suffering and he has a special place for those who are Refugees. In fact, Jesus' own family was a refugee at one time, and throughout the biblical narrative, God's people were refugees at times in different places. Then there was times where they welcomed refugees. They, they took in refugees. Even when Solomon dedicated the temple in the Old Testament, he even said, God, when people come from all over and hear of your glory, who are not of your people Israel, hear their prayer and help us to serve them. So the biblical narrative is God loves refugees. The biblical narrative is if someone's without a home, 
We, we, you give the poor wonderful shelter. That's what a true fast is. You share your bread and you, you give the poor wonder, wonderful shelter, the homeless shelter. You feed the hungry and you give water to the thirsty. You give clothes to that. That's the gospel. That's what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus. So let's look at this in a bigger kingdom narrative, not political, because no, none of us are going to be saved by government. So let's look at this in a bigger kingdom narrative. Now, there are millions of Afghans scattered all over the world, some of which were already scattered. But now this recent scattering is going to add hundreds of thousands, you know, to that. So in whatever place they have scattered, we call it a diaspora location. This is a unique time in history in the advancement of God's kingdom for the people of God as fellow followers of Jesus to step into that human need with the love of Jesus with practical, tangible assistance like water and sanitation and food and shelter and clothing and all of that. But alongside of that, we can bring the gospel, bring the love of Christ, bring a witness. And, and Kevin, our experience is in those refugee camps or in those refugee resettlement places, regardless of what country it is, we know of testimonies in dozens of countries not just Afghans, but talking about Afghans now, where Afghans have become followers of Jesus in that refugee context because the people of God, the Christ followers, responded in the opposite spirit. So meaning we're not responding with hatred. We're not responding with animosity or why this or why that. We're responding in love, responding in grace, responding in acceptance and forgiveness and hospitality. And then through that, we share the gospel they become followers of Jesus. They become faithful, fruitful disciple makers wherever they're at. And then guess what they can do? That's got another text from, guess what they can do? They can reach back into their home country, into their home people, home villages, home. And it, it can be an expansion of uh, God's kingdom in that way. Yeah. Thank you so much. Now, as we wrap up, just a couple of things. One, uh, describe again um, how we can best pray uh, for for Afghan uh, the people there, and uh, and then talk about uh, you know mention your books again. Um, they're they're on Amazon. I put a picture of one of them up already to you know to let people know that you were coming on. Um, and then if you want to say how people can contact you, I don't know if you have a Twitter or something like that, or um, you know so that people can follow you because I I think. Um, people would be very interested in, in, in following you. You've posted some prayers on your Facebook page, you know, how to pray, but just kind of, kind of summarize what are, what are, you know, three or four ways that we can actually engage in, in prayer uh, for the people in Afghanistan. Yes. So even, so right now, real time, pray for our local Afghan brothers and sisters who are trying to leave. So in dangerous situations like this, some believe it's best for them to leave. So let some, and some have left, but pray that God would make a way of escape for them, that he would rescue them and deliver them and help them to leave. Many feel called to stay. Pray that God would give them grace and meet them in their time of need as those that are called to stay. And a practical thing is pray that the banks would open, the borders would open, Western Union would open, so that people like us who want to respond in the compassion of Christ can find practical ways to serve them in and to, and to help them. In the bigger narrative, pray for the country, for peace, for stability. Those of us who are American citizens, pray for our troops that are there, that God would give wisdom to our government, 
and other governments that are still involved in thinking how is this going to play out you know, in a development of, of, of the country and the forming of a government, those that have a heart for refugees, pray for the refugees, that they would be reached with the love of Christ and practical assistance uh, as well. And, uh, and pray that this would mobilize the global church in a positive way to have more of a love and compassion for Muslims, have more love and compassion towards refugees, have a greater commitment to our own faith as followers of Jesus and our united vision and passion to complete the great commission of making disciples among all the nations because Jesus is worthy of every tribe, nation, kindred, and tongue. Yeah. And mention, mention your books one more time on where they can get them. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. So you can go on amazon.com and you got, you can just type Weaver United or you can type inside Afghanistan or a love story from Afghanistan or a flame on the front line. My name is John Weaver. The tag is Weaver United on social media and would love to connect and share more. And thank you so much for, for praying and for your hearts that are being moved in compassion towards our Afghan brothers and sisters, because God is up to something and we don't want to miss this opportunity to respond in prayer in advocacy, if you can, and even practical ways of serving either in the diaspora location. If you were to reach out to me, I can show you some practical ways that you can give. There's a lot of things on the internet, some of which is not exactly going to get back into the country. But if you want to know ways you can help where it's actually going to get into the country, you can reach out to me on social media, Weaver United, or go to Amazon and buy a book. My contact is in all of those books inside Afghanistan, a love story from Afghanistan, and a flame on the front line. And Kevin, thank you so much for this opportunity, brother. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot. First, I'm going to show my ignorance. Um, what is the language of the Afghans? Yeah, that so the, the people in general are called Afghans. Yeah, or Afghans. Afghani is their currency. It's a tribal society. So Pashto is the main language that the Taliban speak. Dari is a dialect of Farsi. People would know the Persian. And so that's the language. But you got Hazaragi, you got Aymak, you got Shikni, you got Munji, you got a whole variety of languages, but the two main languages are Dari, which is like Farsi or Persian, and Pashtu, which is from the Pashtun tribe, most of which make up the Taliban. Hey, which one of those two do you speak the best? I speak, yeah, I speak Dari the most. I know a little Uzbek. I've learned a little bit of some of the other languages. I understand some Pashtu, but primarily where God placed me was in an area where they were primarily speaking uh, Dari. But because I lived in Central Asia before, I know Tajik and I know Uzbek. I know some other of the languages in that region. All right. Well, if you don't mind, I want you to close this in prayer, but I want you to pray in Dari. Okay. All right. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. I can. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. All right. Let's do that. Kasoniki Mehan Bumana da Afghanistan, Bashon Bosh Padar Swanamo, Onoro Kurat Betti, 
نیازی شون رفت کنو پدرست مانی ما باره طالبان هم دو میکنم اونو نجات بتی باره هر ملت باره هر زبان در افغانستان دو میکنم تا هر باره خوش پک شوا و با تمام افغانستان همچنان باره بیاداری کوین هم دو میکنم و بیاداری در امریکا مخصوصا دو میکنم تا ما میتانم مسلمان دوست دارم ما میتانم هر کسی که در فرار هستن میتانم اونو کمک کنم با نام سامسی دو میکنم yes father in the name of Jesus, we pray for your peace in Afghanistan. We pray for our brothers and sisters. You'd be with them. We pray that our response will be that of the compassion of Christ in prayer and love and service and enduring to the end in faith in this passion of seeing the gospel spread to every tribe, nation, kindred, and tongue, because you are worthy, Lord Jesus. Worthy are you, the lamb who was slain. To you be all the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, John. And for those who are watching, please share this um, on your on your social media and be watching or, or uh, you know, if you subscribe to Floods of Justice podcast, this will be up uh, hopefully in a, in a day or two um, so that you can share it with your friends as well. But John, thank you so much. I know you're busy. I know this is a stressful time for you, uh, but thank you so much uh, for joining us. And I hope um, that uh, I hope somehow you were blessed and encouraged by being able to uh, to share with us. No, thank you, Kevin. Yes, thank you so much, brother. Lord bless you. Continue to use you. Appreciate you, brother. All right. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. The Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Join the conversation online at floodsofjustice.com or find the Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs on Twitter at Riggs underscore Kevin.